Hey, Oakleaf Baptist Church, another study in the book of Esther. Wow, we're going to tackle Esther chapter 9, verses 1 to 19 tonight. So if you have your copy of God's Word handy, go ahead and get it, secure it, and be ready to take notes and to study God's Word. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we get started. Father, thank you for the book of Esther and what it has taught us about your providence. Thank you for how this book explains to us and teaches us time and time again how you put us at this specific time in human history for a purpose. Help us as we study this book that you'll work in our hearts and lives and that we will embrace the fact that you are at work and look for how we can be part of your plan and what part we play in your plan. So God, meet with us tonight as we study. Bless us. Thank you for all you do and how you speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, as we start every week with this study, we're going to start in Genesis and go to Esther as we quote the books of the Bible to help us become more familiar with where things are in the scriptures. Ready? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. So when we look at the book of Esther, we're going to go to chapter 9 and we're going to start looking in verse 1. Now last week as we left off, we left that Esther and Mordecai had requested that the king intervene in this order that Haman had given. And the king granted that wish, and they had sent uh, riders, town criers, throughout the whole kingdom, all 127 provinces, to deliver this new decree that, that gave the Jews permission to defend themselves against the enemies of the Jews and to be able to, to, to help themselves be preserved. Uh, the king, as we studied last week, he could not turn back the decree that he had given before through Haman, but now he is showing Esther and showing Mordecai that, that he is, is not for this to happen, that he wants to help the Jews and help Esther and her people as they defend themselves and they be preserved as, as her family and as her kindred. So we're going to start in the book of Esther, chapter 9, and verse 1. We're going to dive into the scriptures a little deeper right here. The Bible says, Now in the twelfth month, that is the month Adar, on the thirteenth day of the same, when the king's commandment and his decree drew near to be put in execution, in the day that the enemies of the Jews hoped to have power over them, though it was turned into the contrary that the Jews had roll over them and hated them, that hated them. The month Adar, as we've studied this before, we're looking at the month of April or March, about that time of the year. That's the month Adar, the 13th day of the month. Now this, this chapter, we're going to go over this and we're going to see the 13th, 14th, and 15th day of Adar are where this falls into place, where we see this fall in the line. Now, I don't want us to forget what we studied previously, just a reminder about Bishop Wadsworth and the note that he gave regarding that um, these dates coincide with the Passover and what took place uh, with the Passover. And I think it's very interesting how these dates fall true to that in the, hum in the human history and, and Jewish history and in their culture. So as we continue to read and study here, we see that it proved this this decree that was put out proved to reverse or attempt to thwart the the Haman decree that had went out that gave the enemies of the Jews the ability to kill them and take their things for spoil. So now we see here partly through the decree 
uh, that is now issued is in the Jews' favor. Now we see that in this decree that their enemies are actually put into danger, not the Jews. And we see from this that because the court now, the, the, the king and the courts and the governors and, and the municipalities now side with the Jews, that the tables have turned on Haman's decree and those enemies of the Jews that had made clear what their intent was and what they were going to do to the Jews at this time. Now, I want you to consider that Haman had a lot of followers in this kingdom. He had a lot of people that looked to him. He had gained notoriety and become second in commandment into the king in the kingdom. So as second in command, he had a lot of people that were looking at him and following him and believed the way he did. He would not have been able to get to the position that he was in without having a following and the ear of people. He would not have amassed the wealth and, and notoriety that he had without having that notoriety or, or that uh, relationship and the following that was there in the kingdom. So we see in verse 1 that we begin to see this all laid out for us as it unfolds here. And the kings are, or the Jews are ready to prepare themselves against this decree that Haman had sent out through the king. So verse 2 says this, The Jews gathered themselves together in their cities throughout all the provinces of the king of Ahasuerus to lay hands on such as ought to, sought to hurt them, and no man could withstand them, for the fear of them fell upon the people. Now, what we see here is the Jews were given the opportunity to embody themselves in a defense for themselves. In doing that, the Bible says here in, in verse 2 that they gathered themselves together. Now, this, this is a very strategic move because the idea here is individually they would, they would struggle to be able to defend themselves. However, as a group, they become more, uh, more uh, defendable and they become more powerful to those who would come against them. So we see here, if they had acted separately, they would, have, um, they would have struggled to be able to do this. But since they were able to come together and get their power centralized, they were able to defeat their enemies and overcome them. Now, their enemies didn't, didn't take... Um, they didn't take up arms against them in... The Jews did not take up their arms against their enemies in a offensive position so much as a defensive position. These were people that had made very clear what they were going to do to the Jews and they were enemies of them. So we see here that as the Jews begin to enact their defense, this defense was one to conquer and destroy all those who had, who had threatened them and who had gathered up uh, weapons of warfare against them. And now they're going to go out and they are going to confront them and defend themselves against these people. Now, when we look at this, we see it was very wise for the Jews to do this together. Uh, obviously, again, uh, a little a cow or an ox or a buffalo or a sheep out on its own somewhere is very hard to defend. However, when you travel in a herd, it is it is much easier to defend. So we see that they do this. You see, the, the enemy of the Jews were almost entirely found amongst an idolatrous, idolatrous people. So in the process of the Jews taking care of their enemies, they're also annihilating those who are introducing idols and uh, in an ungodly sense, serving and sacrificing to idols within their community. So let's go to verse 3 of Esther chapter 9. And all the rulers of the provinces and lieutenants 
and the deputies and officers of the king helped the Jews because the fear of Mordecai fell upon them. Now, I want you to understand that, that these governors, it says here, the, the governors, the lieutenants, the deputies, all these officers, understand they're the ones who dictate and command the armies of Persia. So I want you to get a picture of this, that now that the Jews have been given an opportunity to defend themselves, all of these um, uh, civil leaders are getting behind the Jews because of Mordecai and his influence. And in doing so, all of these governors and lieutenants and officers that are directing the armies of Persia to keep peace within the land and to keep law within the land, now these armies and these, these, these governors and officers and lieutenants and so forth, they are all positioning themselves to be a help to the Jews as they defend themselves and take care of these people that have been their enemies. Now, the one thing I think is interesting in this is that it must, it, it's obvious to me here, I, I believe, that the enemies of the Jews must have struck a nerve with their communities for people to know how hateful and vindictive and, and what their plans were for the Jews, that they would side with the Jews and partake, uh, partake in the defense and carrying out of this, uh, this decree to help them. I think that is very interesting to consider that as these, again, we come back to that. This is an idolatrous people. There's no telling who they had offended, who they, who they were, were taking advantage of, who they were being unkind to, and, and, and who they were uh, trying to rule and, and, and blackmail and so forth and all this. So there's a lot of political stuff going on in the background. And I know you might be watching this video and you might be thinking, well, Bill, the Bible doesn't say that all that stuff's going on. Well, I want to tell you that human history does nothing but repeat itself. And we all, if, you're, if you have any age in your life, you know this for a fact. We see society after society commit the same sins, do the same stuff. Look at, you look at American government and civics and, and, and you look at, at the economics of what we have just in American history, and you will see that even in America, we have made errors and then repeated those errors time and time again. Uh, we we didn't learn from our mistakes, and we studied that in a previous study. But understand that blackmail and and um, and people being forced to make political decisions for for an individual's good because of their power or wealth is not uncommon in human history, and it happened here too. I can't help but think that in this Persian society, with Haman's behavior in and of itself, you can see right there that there was dirty things going on politically within the kingdom, and I'm sure that it didn't just stop with Haman. There was a whole group of people that did this, and we're going we're gonna to kind of see the repercussions of that here as we study. So we see here that um, all of these provinces have governors and lieutenants and officers and so forth, and now they're de demanding and they're commanding their armies and their security forces to get involved and to protect the Jews. Now, what was the significance of, of uh, Mordecai and his influence? Well, some of the notes I had here I thought was really interesting. Um, you know, he was, he was trusted by the ruler of the empire. That in and of itself is enough to gain people's respect. But the, the thing about Mordecai was there was a reverence, there was a respect that these people had for him because of what had transpired. The other thing we see here is he was a statesman. 
He was, he was a man that represented the people. Uh, we see here also that he was a prudent officer in his command and as he directed in what he did here in the kingdom. So we see all of this was done with diligence and grace. And because he did, he handled himself in such a wise way and so diligently and so graceful, he was able to influence people to, to side with the Jewish nation there in Persia to protect them from their enemies. Let's go to verse 5. Esther 9 verse 5 says, Thus the Jews smote all their enemies with the stroke of their sword and the slaughter and the destruction and did, that what, uh, did what they would unto those that hated them. Now, it says here that they used the swords, they used clubs, they used all kinds of weapons of warfare. Um, and the Targum says, such is like slaughtering weapons of destruction. The, the Targus, that historical document, uh, leads us to believe or gives us a historical account that they took up all of the arms of war that they could get their hands on and they utilized them against their enemies. Verse 6 says this, And in Shushan the palace the Jews slew and destroyed 500 men. Now, 500 persons, they were killed. Now, this, this blows my mind to a certain degree. So Haman hated the Jews, hated Mordecai. He, he, he has obviously a following. There's 500 in just in Shushan. It says here in verse 6, in Shushan, just in the palace, there were 500 people killed as enemies of the Jews. Now, I think it's interesting when you begin to study this, you will find out that um, these people were people that um, in many ways, shapes and forms were connected to Haman. And this is why they had the beliefs that they had regarding the Jews and how they tried to get rid of them. So we see here that in the word of God in verse six, we see an interesting point. Why in the world would 500 people be enemies to the Jews and understand the gravity of their choice knowing that the king had befriended the Jews. Wouldn't you think that these people would have done an about face and would have changed uh, their thought of, of process here in, in this event? Uh, but obviously they didn't. They, they were enemies of the Jews. I think it's interesting when you study this out, the, the city of Shushan, the palace and the surrounding city, uh, that area called Shushan was approximately 100 acres of, of land that was occupied by the palace and by the rest of Shushan. And just in that hundred acres, we see on this day, the 13th day, that 500 people were killed. Another thing I think is interesting is these verses uh, leave no doubt that these were men and, and they followed Haman's beliefs. And if you read the Targum, it says that these were princes of the house of Amalek. Now, Let's reverse back a few studies ago, and we studied the significance of Saul, King Saul of Israel, when God commanded him to kill the Amalekites, and he, he did not do and obey God. And the story of Esther is that, that uh, Mordecai and Esther are descendants of Saul, and Haman is a descendant of the Amalekites, uh, Amalek the king, and we see here that, that, that 
some time later in biblical history, what Saul was supposed to be do is getting taken care of right here in the Persian kingdom. So the Targum gives credit to these 500 um, that were slain in Shushan to be ones who were princes of the Amalekites. This means that they were wealthy, they were to do, they were leaders within the community of the Amalekite descendants. So we see here that this falls into the scripture here. And we see that the next thing is that bloodshed within the palace was not allowed. So understand that this hundred acre space that we see uh, this, this bloodshed taking place in these 500 people, none of it took place on palace property in the palace itself, the proper area. It was all done outside of that area because it, it was illegal. It was against the law to shed blood in the palace. So let's, let's continue to study here. We're going to read verses 7 through 10 now, okay? And Parash and Tatha and Dolphon and Aspatha and Poratha and Adaliah and Aradatha and Parmashta and Arishia and Aradiah and Vajasetha, they are the ten sons of Haman, the sons of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews, they slew them, but on the spoil they laid not their hand. Haman's ten sons, this is their name. Now listen, I know many of you folks, you may be thinking about having children, and you were looking for some great names to be able to use for, for your son or daughter. I can assure you these ten names I would not use. Okay, So we look at this and we see... That, that Haman's sons, these ten sons on that day, they were the Jews killed them. They were enemies of the Jews. They were killed, but the Jews did not lay a hand on any of their belongings or their property or anything like that for a spoil. They, they, they left it all alone. They kept their hands off of it. Now you say, what's the significance of that? Listen, they weren't killing these enemies of the Jews for them to get rich. They were not doing it so that they could get gain. They were doing it for vengeance sake and protection of their people. Now, I think it's interesting that uh, in the Word of God, one of the things that we are, we are told repeatedly to guard against is our love for money. We are, we are told to guard against our, our desire to accumulate things. Um, here I think it's interesting in Esther that the Jews are commanded to leave any of the spoils, not to take part in it, not to have anything to do with it. Uh, I think this, this is to show that they weren't out to get rich off of this, this killing. They were out to seek vengeance and protect their nation. So what we see here in verse 11. And on that day, the number of those that were slain in Shushan, the palace, were brought before the king. And the king said unto Esther, the queen, the Jews have slain and destroyed 500 men in Shushan, the palace, and the 10 sons of Haman. What they have done in the rest of the kingdom and provinces, the king asks her. Now, what is thy petition? And it shall be granted thee. Or what is thy request further? And it shall be done. Now, the Jews have just, has destroyed and slain 500 men just in Shushan. Okay? We see here that the Targum says that these were the seed of Amalek. That, that's what that historical document gives us information on. So the question here that the king asks, if you look here in verse 12, 
He says, um, what have they done in the rest of the kingdom and provinces? He wants to know, what was the destruction elsewhere? And now what is thy petition? He asks her two specific questions here, and he, he's looking to please her. Now understand, he gave his ring to Haman for this, for this day, the 13th day of Adar, to be one where the Jews could have been annihilated by their enemies within the Persian Empire. So now he's trying to make things right between Esther and Mordecai and the Jewish people. And so he wants to make sure that he is sending the message that he is not against the Jewish people. So we see here, the question implies here that, that there, there was a, there's obviously greater destruction in the rest of the kingdom. If 500 people were killed just in Shushan, there had to be a greater destruction throughout the 127 provinces of the Persian Empire. And we see here he asks, what is, he wants to know what that destruction is, but then he says, even so, what is the next step, Esther? What else do you require of me? What else can I do? You tell me what you want done, and I will do it. Your petition will be answered. So we look at verse 13. Esther says, Then said Esther, If it please the king, let it be granted to the Jews which are in Shushan to do tomorrow also according to today's decree, and let Haman's ten sons be hanged upon the gallows. Now, what happened was, Esther and Mordecai would have gotten word that some of the people that were enemies of the Jews that were out to destroy them had hidden and, and had avoided the, the onslaught of murder, of, of killing and vengeance that the Jews were taking out on these people. So they knew that not all of the people that needed to be dealt with, the enemies of the Jews, had been dealt with in Shushan. So they knew that that had to be taken care of. These people may have fled to other areas outside in the countryside uh, where there weren't cities or they might have hidden caves. They might, they, they just, there, there's obviously a group of people that they believe had missed the judgment that was being uh, doled out by the Jews in this day. So we see here that uh, she asks that the king extend this this day of, of the Jews being able to defend themselves and, and taking care of these evil people against them to extend it to another day. So we see here in verse 13, the king grants this wish, let it be granted to the, to the Jews which are in Shushan to do tomorrow also, according unto that which the decree was today. Now, she also asks for an interesting request, and that is that Haman's sons be hung. Now, Let's go back to our lesson class. Remember what being hung means. It means that you were impaled on a, on a pole, which uh, many theologians believe that the ten sons of Haman were impaled on the same pole that was, that was made to kill Mordecai, which Haman ended up being put on. Now the historical documents, they, they would tell us, leave us to believe that the ten sons were put on that same pole. Now, I want you to consider this. In a previous study, we, we had came across some historical information that Haman may have had not just these 10 sons, but also throughout the kingdom, 280 other sons. So I want you to keep that under your ball cap as we continue to study here, as we look at this passage of scripture. But understand the idea is, Esther says, I want to take the 10 sons of Haman and put them up on the gallows so that the people in this kingdom and those people that escaped 
the, the wrath that we had poured out, the vengeance, they will see this and this will scare them even more. So we see here in verse 14, the Bible says, And the king commanded it to so be done. And then the decree was given unto Shushan, and they hanged Haman's son. So those same gallows were used for the sons that were used for the dad. They put them up on there. The Targum gives us a distance that was between each person on the gallow. We're not going to get into all that, but it is there from a historical data standpoint. Verse 15 says this, For the Jews that were in Shushan gathered themselves together on the 14th day also of the month, of Adar and slew 300 men in Shushan, but on the prey they laid not their hands. So we see here that on the, the 13th day they killed 500 men, the 14th day they killed 300 more. I think it's interesting that, that Haman had 280 other sons, historically speaking. Uh, I think it'd be interesting to, to someday be able to, uh, when we get into heaven and can ask questions, uh, how many of the 300 killed on the second day were the 280 sons uh, that we are told historically belonged to Haman? I think that's a, a kind of a neat question to ask. But uh, we see here the, the second day of slaughter, the 14th day of the month, we see another 300. So 800 people in Shushan alone, not the rest, not the other 127 provinces, not out in the, in the, in the, in the countrysides and the unwalled cities. We're talking about just in Shushan, 800 people, enemies of the Jews, were killed according to this decree that was given out. Let's look at verse 16. But the other Jews that were in the king's provinces gathered themselves together and stood for their lives and the rest uh, from their enemies and slew of their foes on the 13th day now, 70 and 5,000, but they laid not hands on the prey. They did not lay hands on their... The, the, some theologians would believe prey was referring to the wife and children and their belongings uh, and... Uh, someone just believed that it, it referred to their belongings. Uh, however you want to look at it, I'm not going to get in a big theological discussion over it because you know what? That doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. The only thing that matters is Jesus and the cross at Calvary and people knowing that He died for their sin. Amen? So we look at this passage of Scripture and we see here, verse 16, that, that uh, 75,000 people were killed throughout the other 127 provinces. Now, if you do some studying, you may find that in the Septuagint and some other historical documents, they state that it was actually 15,000. Uh, however, I will tell you, I believe in the preservation of God's Word. I believe that God's Word is true and it is for us and it, is, it doesn't have errors in it. I believe that if the Word of God says 75,000 were killed, then 75,000 were killed. So, as we see this, we see that uh, no godly man in Scripture takes advantage of a financial opportunity when someone is in distress or, or is taken care of. So we see here that covetousness in Scripture, it's sin. I come back to what I said a little earlier. The Jews, I believe in this passage of Scripture and, and what takes place here, they do not ever want someone to misconstrue their killing that it was done for money or for wealth, or for belongings. This was all about vengeance and defense. So they leave all that, all the prey, they leave all, all of the belongings of these people, and they just worry about their defense. So, let's look at verse 18. But the Jews that were in Shushan assembled together on the thirteenth day thereof, and on the fourteenth day thereof, and on the fifteenth day thereof, the same they rested and made 
in a day of rest and gladness. So in verse 18, we see the Jews that were in Shushan. Okay, I want you to understand the end of this passage of um, chapter 9. In Shushan, they killed on the 13th day and the 14th day. And on the 15th day, they, they celebrated and they rested and had peace. We see here this is important to understand because the rest of the kingdom, the other 127 provinces, they did their killing on the 13th day. And then on the 14th day, they celebrated their freedom and protection. So let's look at verse 19. Therefore, the Jews of the villages that dwelt in the undwelt, uh, unwalled towns made the 14th day of the month Adar a day of gladness and feasting and a good day and of sending portions one to another. So we see here the Jews that lived in the unwalled cities of the, of the, of the kingdom, they themselves... Um, they themselves killed on the 13th and celebrated on the 14th. Those Jews that lived in Shushan, they did the killing vengeance on the 13th and the 14th, and then they celebrated on the 15th. So that's our study for tonight. Wow, a lot of information. I hope you learned something. I hope it got some wheels turning, um, and I hope that it helped you get closer to God and understanding how good He is. Listen, I want to thank you for watching the study. Thank you for being a part of it. We're getting near the end of the book of Esther, and man, it has been a phenomenal journey. I want to encourage you today. Listen, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, if you don't know Him, please get in the Word of God. Reach out to our church. Call us, oakleafbaptist.org, our phone number, our email addresses, our contact, the pastor pages are there. Listen, reach out to us. We would love to talk to you. Answer any questions you might have about how you can know God, and we would love to have the opportunity to lead you to God. Listen, folks, it's all about people coming to Jesus Christ. As we study the book of Esther, we see the providence of God. We see people put in human history for a specific time because God had a plan for them and a purpose for them. And I'm here to tell you that if you're watching this video, you need to be reassured that you are here right now for a reason God has designed you to be here for. The greatest reason God put us here is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, to share how Jesus went to the cross. He took on our sin. He shed his blood and died for us. Three days later, he rose from the dead. And today he's on high at the right hand of the Father, interceding for those who have accepted him and what he did on the cross and been reconciled to the Father. Now listen, we have to understand that if someone isn't reconciled to the Father and they die without recognizing Jesus Christ as, as the Savior, as a Messiah, and they die without asking for forgiveness of their sin, listen, people in that condition are going to spend an eternity in hell. Man, you can't change an eternity in hell once you get there. That's why it's so important that we recognize that the mission of the church, the mission of every believer who's a child of God, first and foremost is to share Jesus Christ and lead people to God, to tell them about Jesus and the cross and how they can have forgiveness for their sin because their sin separates them from God. Their sin sets them on a path to spend an eternity in hell. But if they trust Jesus Christ as their Savior and ask forgiveness for their sin and ask, uh, sin and ask Jesus to come into their life, He'll forgive them. He'll come into your life. He'll save you. You'll be reconciled with the Father. You can have a relationship with God the Father and, and you can follow Him and you can live your life for Him and glorify Him. 
But it all starts with God's people proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here and study your word. Help us to recognize we're here for such a time as this, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with the community around us. Help us to be faithful to do so. Help us to have boldness. Take us in peace and help us to proclaim Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Hey, thanks for joining us in our study today. Have a great week. We'd like to thank you for joining the broadcast of Oakleaf Baptist Church in Orange Park, Florida. Oakleaf Baptist is all about leading people to God. We do this by learning God's Word, loving God and others, and living out our faith. For more information, visit us online at oakleafbaptist.org.